Hello and welcome to Rural Business Uncovered, brought to you by the CLA, where each week we discuss matters affecting the rural sector. The Country Land and Business Association are the only organisation dedicated to protecting and defending the rights of landowners and rural businesses. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This week, we are joined by Johnny Crickmore, owner of Fen Farm Dairy in Suffolk, who shares with us his diversification story. Johnny and his wife are the third generation of dairy farmers on the beautiful marshlands of the Waveney River. Looking for an alternative to large-scale dairy farming, they took the leap to handcraft and sell raw milk and artisan cheese and dairy products from a shed at the bottom of their farm drive and haven't looked back. Today, they produce a range of high end products for the restaurant and hospitality trade, as well as selling to farm shops and have an online store too. Johnny is here to share with us the opportunities and challenges of the sector and why more farmers should venture into production now more than ever. Johnny Crickmore of Fen Farm Dairy, welcome to the podcast. Um, to start, tell us about your background and how you came to start making the delicious Baron by God's Brie. Is it a family affair? Yeah, I guess it is. It, certainly the farm, uh, it goes back three generations now. Um, Fen Farm, we've, our family has been farming the farm and the land around it since the 1940s. And at the farm at the moment is uh, my mother and father are still very active in the farm and myself and my wife, Dulcie. But yes, the, the cheese didn't really sort of come along till many years later. Did you have to pick up the skills quite quickly? Was, was it something that's been handed down possibly in the family, uh, cheese making, or is it something that's completely new to you? Certainly up until 2011, we were just a very sort of normal dairy farm. All of our milk was sold to a, a milk processor one of the sort of big the big companies in the UK and I guess it probably came to a point where I just got a little bit fed up with the industry as it was and wanted to do something different and it all really came about that um, we just had this this crazy little idea to um, start selling bottles of raw milk in a in a garden well I say a garden shed it was literally a garden shed we painted it like a cow and stuck it up near the road and it just became really popular. People just kept coming back and time and time again buying our milk. And I thought, well, maybe there's something in this. It's, you know, maybe we should be doing more things like this with our milk. And that's and that's sort of what led led us on to sort of start researching and looking into cheese making. And how did you finally settle on brie? What, what was special about that type of cheese for you to produce? I think it was more, it, originally we didn't know what cheese we wanted to make. Um, and we started visit we, we sort of drove around the uk a, a few times and visited sort of good cheese makers we, we literally just tapped in on google um search you know like uh, award-winning cheese maker or best cheddar or something you know words and then find, found all of these people and as we started visiting them they were all very welcoming to us and uh, we started to understand the industry the artisan sort of cheese industry and and 
And all of a sudden, we 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 spotted this gap. It came apparent to us after a, a few months that there wasn't anybody making raw milk brie in the UK, and and that's sort of where we we sort of set our sights. That was what we were going to do. We were going to make. A, a, a brie as as good as the French. That was our plan. And why do you think that there weren't that many people doing and producing raw milk uh, brie? Um, I think it. Well, uh, I, th- I I can look. It's easy now to say it's because it's really difficult. Um, <laughs> but um, I think uh, it's it's an interesting one because why is the country? You know, it's our. I think it's the third most popular cheese in the UK or consumed cheese after cheddar and and Stilton. And why is no one making it in a sort of artisan sort of way? You, you, you look at the supermarkets and there's brie everywhere, but it's it's pretty bland stuff. It doesn't have huge amounts of flavor to it. And if you want really good brie, well, you buy French stuff. So we thought, well, if we can make it as good as the French do, but it's English, then, you know, the chances are we're probably you know get a lot of people in the uk buy our, our cheese but it is actually on underneath all of that it is difficult for many reasons because to make truly good cheese you've got to be close to the source of where the milk comes from so it works brilliantly being a farmer who can make cheese because you have control over the whole operation so we control the the land the the milk the cows the calves the you know the freshness the quality of the milk we we have control over all of that and that's very hard actually when you think about it to find you know there's, there's in the UK there's very very often you find people who want to make cheese who would love to be a cheesemaker but they're not a farmer and you then get farmers who want to farm but they don't want to make cheese so to get the two to come together is actually quite rare. Yeah, that, that is quite unique in some sense. Do, do you still sell bottled milk alongside the cheese? So what's the balance? What's the split? Yeah, yeah, we do. We continue to this day selling our raw milk from our little shed. Um, still there now. It's, it's been there. This is the 10th year. But there's, we've along the way, we've made several other products. I mean, after the cheese came our cultured butter again that's a that's an interesting story and um, why we did that and then more sort of recently we went to iceland and learned the skills of making skier yogurt so we went and found a, a farmhouse skier maker in iceland and spent time with him and then very recently we've just started selling um mascarpone so you know all of these products which i've just said are products which actually not that many people make in a sort of artisanal kind of way you, you can find them all on a supermarket shelf but Every one of those is is quite hard to find a sort of um, an artisanal version of it, mm. and I guess it um, it then leads you on to be to be a price maker as a price as opposed to a price taker. As many primary um, producers, many farmers selling milk um, aren't necessarily in control of the price they get, but by adding value and creating new products, you can add and and be in more control of the price you receive for your product. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it certainly. I think that was one of the things what we, you know, we noticed over the first few months when we started selling those bottles of milk. It's like, hang on a minute, like we're selling this litre of milk for a pound. And at the time, we were probably getting about 24p. And it starts to make you think and, you know, the customs were coming and buying it for a pound. But equally, I could put it at a pound five if I wanted to. No one's stopping me. I can make my own decision here. And what we've done over the last 10 years is is we've created a brand and a brand you know people are buying the brand there's no other brand like that brand so it's unique and so so therefore you can then make that decision on you know what you charge for it 
to a, to a degree, of course. Yeah, and COVID nineteen has prompted many people to to buy local, uh, particularly over the last year or so, and and cheese has surged in popularity as a result. Do you think this newfound interest is here to stay? I well, I think so. I find it hard that well, certainly with my experience of when I've seen people get into cheese, they don't tend to get out of it. <laughs> um, you know, you kind of, it's something which you grow into, isn't it, cheese? I think back as a child and many children, you know, I've got two of my own and they, they don't like strong cheeses. But as you get older, then all of a sudden those, those your, your tastes change and you just kind of like eating it, don't you? And I think it's um, what COVID has done is it's forced people to change and they've gone looking for new things because of some things have been taken away. So you replace them by finding something else. And food certainly is one of those, speciality food and, uh, you know, th- things like what we're doing. So many people have um, discovered that this year. And yeah, I'm kind of hopeful that we um, they, they get a good experience and they'll keep coming back. Now, I understand as well that during the first lockdown last year, you were left with a huge oversupply of stock as the hospitality sector closed its doors overnight. Uh, what have you learned f- from this? And for, for example, have you changed any part of the business as a result? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it all took, it, we all were in a little bit of a shock there for a week or two when all of a sudden the world changed and you know all of, all of the hospitality industry just shut and for us it's not good when you're making a product several weeks and months in advance to sell at that point in time and then all of a sudden there's no one to sell it to so we had to change quickly and a couple of three days I just kind of I didn't really know what to do I then started counting up how much product we had and then started realizing that actually if we don't do something we're going to be in a really really bad place because we've got tens of thousands of pounds worth of stock we've got at this point now a, a quite a big amount of people at the farm mm. you know all all were uh, employed yeah. so you, you know all of a sudden you can see like some like you know red, red flashing lights on the horizon the first thing i did i i looked at there was it, it after the few first few days you start to see some changes in people's shopping and all of a sudden people like noticeably the milk roundsman all of a sudden he was doing incredibly well like i phoned him up and he said i'm really sorry i can't talk i've just been like working 19 20 hours every day <laughs> for the last two weeks yeah. and, I, and i and i hung up and i thought there's a place where we can sell cheese like all of those people what he's sending groceries and things to let's get some cheese to those people so the first the very first thing we did was we literally we created a flyer really quickly over two or three days we'd made the, designed this nice little flyer and every one of the milk brandsman's customers 4000 of them got a flyer and a free wedge of baron bygod cheese and we just said look this is going to we're going to throw this away like please enjoy it you know like have make some use of it yeah. enjoy it and i was i was absolutely flabbergasted when we done that the amount of people who contacted us just to say thank you and like you made our day and that's you know it's really wow. good of you to do that and and but off the back of it it started to sell like it, you know all of those 4000 wedges we gave out we were starting to see like 150 200 wedges come back but come back in sales every week no it was actually more than that it was a bit more than that and that's been like that ever since so those 4000 wedges have paid for themselves several times over but it, it, it was sort of that sort of thing, what we started to see the changes in the, in the marketplace and noticeably online sales just rocketed. 
So, uh, you know, our, our website sales rose. We, we still weren't out of the water, but we started to, you know, claw back some of those sales, what we lost. And I think it was really got to a point where we got to mid-April and it, it, the, the message was starting to get out to more sort of um, celebrity chefs and newspapers that the cheese industry was in a real problem with the amount of stock it had and no one was eating it. And yet everybody seemed to be, there wasn't any food on any supermarket shelf, yet there was all this cheese. And it was, I think it was Jamie Oliver really what what changed that, at that on a Saturday afternoon in the middle of April. He, he did a plea to the on his uh, social media platforms to the British public to just like support these cheesemakers because they may not be there if you don't uh, when this is all over. And in the space of three hours, I think we emptied the entire building of cheese. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Which is incredible because you know, the cheese you produce has got a shelf life, of course. So you're really up against it. You didn't want this delicious, perishable good to go to waste. No, no, it was. It, it's, there's nothing worse than, you know, as a farmer and talking to farmers. If you lose an animal, a livestock, or something dies, or you know, mm. it's like the worst feeling. And, it, and it's the same with cheese. You've just put all of that effort, that energy, and work, and you know, all of that has gone into this little product which sits there. And you get to the very last point where you're going to sell it and then it has to be thrown away. It's horrible. Um, so, so yeah, we didn't want that. But amazingly, it, it never came to it. And, um, and if anything, it just went the complete opposite at that point because we didn't have any cheese and then everybody wanted it and there wasn't any there. <laughs> so, so in a funny sort of way, on the back of that crisis, you've now uh, sort of managed to secure um, a whole new set of customers that you didn't have before. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I I think um, it just got to a different audience. I think the cheese industry was, you know, the artisan cheese industry is like, it's a sort of, you know, it's not for everybody. It's, you know, there's a sort of select few people who would go to a cheese shop and, and buy all these little wedges of cheese. Most people just go to the supermarket and buy a block of cheddar. But I think that that's now sort of changed, you know, in this last year, you know, the audience is growing. And really, when you look at the cheese consumption in the UK, it's pretty small compared with the likes of France and some of the other European countries. So, you know, there's no, no, no reason we couldn't eat much, much more cheese. And I know you've, you've pivoted during this challenging period towards selling more direct to customers and, and less so to the hospitality, but, but still the, the restaurant trade is a, still a big part of your business under normal circumstances. And what is your advice to someone who is perhaps just starting out and would like to follow a similar path? How would you suggest they crack this difficult market? Yeah, to so get into cheese. I mean, it is, it is difficult, but uh, you know, if you're a farmer, you've got amazing opportunity to do something you've got the milk in front of you if you're a dairy farmer you've got you're, you're producing milk fresh milk every day which can make some really good cheese so you you've got a good starting point then you've got to really do research go out and visit cheesemakers they're a friendly bunch really so don't feel afraid um, go and visit cheesemongers go and visit cheese shops cheesemakers start to get to know the industry before you do anything don't go spending money on anything until you start to understand it and then pick your cheese what you're going to make and one of the things i would say is find the cheese you're going to make and focus totally on that cheese don't get too excited and it's easy to do but making several cheeses means your time and your the energy you're putting into this cheese is spread among many cheeses so it's in my opinion it's far better to concentrate on one cheese and just keep working on it till you perfect it because you only need to make one one really good cheese and you know and then 
everyone will buy it. And that's very much the way you've gone about developing your product range is focusing on that one, perfecting the process, getting it right, getting the branding and marketing correct before moving on to the next product, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's easy for me to say that now, but I, I was, you know, I was that person who wanted to make lots of things. <laughs> I, I listened to other people. And also, if you look around, look at the other cheeses around you, some of those really, really great cheeses made in the UK, they only making one or two cheeses and usually a variation of one cheese. You know, you think, well, cheese making, I can, it's, you just add a bit of rennet and, and away you go. But it's, it's far more than that. It's, um, it's incredibly complex. It's the consistency. Consistency sells product. People will buy a piece of cheese for the first time and it might be great the first time, but the second time it might not and they might not ever come back again. 350 are you the second or third generation? How many years have the, the family been farming at uh, Fen Farm Dairy? Yeah, so, so we've been farming since my grandfather started farming back in the 1940s. And yeah, it's been a family affair ever since. My grandfather had 20 cows and that was most of his life. So things have changed a huge amount in those years. But uh, I, I've always loved farming ever since I was a child. I couldn't help every time I, whether I was coming home from school, I was just thinking about getting up the farm. I would actually, I would actually at, at, at 10 o'clock at night, my father would head up the farm one more time just to check the cows in case there was anything carving. And I'd get out of bed and slip my boots on. <laughs> he didn't even know I was um, behind him. I just wanted to go up the farm and check the cows. 
So um, I know it's a bit sad, really, isn't it? <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. And, and I guess the, the way you've developed the business and introduced diversification projects has um, secured the long term future of the business um, in anticipation of future generations wanting to take it over. Yeah, I, I hope so. Yeah, we, we've worked really, really hard over the last few years to to, to get the, the, the cheese and the, the added value stuff established. It's clearly at the moment it's being eaten a lot that we keep making lots of cheese, so people are liking it. So, providing in theory you don't change anything, but you know people get used to a, a type of food and they enjoy it and they keep buying it and they keep you know they continue. You look at some of the foods, drinks we've been around for centuries. Some of them, hopefully, I would like to think that my 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 children would would want to to continue it, but you know it's probably a little too early for them. They're only. <laughs> So. Uh, when you took over f- from your parents, um, were you given uh, a degree of responsibility and free reign to develop your ideas? Because that's important, isn't it, when you're introducing new generations into the family business, that they have that ability to, to, to follow their path? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. My father was very good at allowing me to sort of come up with ideas. And also he was good enough to like see see me make the mistakes and not interfere too much. So I was I was lucky there. You've got to be careful with um, with with the, your children coming into the business that you don't rule them. You've got to allow them to make their own responsibilities and and come up with their own ideas to have the love of wanting to to do it themselves. So um, it's it's not easy, but you've got to try and get that balance right, haven't you? And do you think the family connections with your story and the brand and the product is is, is key in, in the in the way you communicate that story to your customers? You know, they like the fact they're buying into a family operation that it's not a big corporate company. You know, you, you are the people that have been working the land and and have seen that product through from beginning to end. Yeah, I think it's definitely one of our strong strongest sort of points about our business is 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 a family farm. It's genuine. It's real. We probably didn't realise it when we started making cheese, but but you know, after a few months or a year or so, we 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 realised people were buying it because of the, the the realness of it all, the story of it. it. It's about story as much as it is the food. So then you look at like you know, and it's very easy as you go on a few years now, and you know, you start selling more cheese and things are going really well, and then all of a sudden the next step, what do you do now? That we we just made the decision that we've been supported this far to get this far because of the people who we are and and what we stand for. And it's very easy to sort of all of a sudden start changing your your story and 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 going against the things which you originally told everybody you were you know what you stood for. Mm. And I'm sure this is something you've got an eye on as as the farming industry develops over the next five to ten years. There's quite a lot of change happening, isn't there? And if you just look looking at the DEFRA's announcement on the new agricultural transition plan recently, there's quite a lot of change uh, going to come in the form and in the way farming is, is going to be supported going forward. Um, what do you think and what do you see are the biggest challenges for your generation who are forging a career in the industry? And, and secondly, what do you see as the biggest opportunity well i think uh, you know the challenges we face are as farmers is i believe the statistic is the farmers uh, own 70 percent of the land in the uk so if we're, we're responsible well i don't know if the word is right responsible but because we own so much land as farmers we're the ones who what have the biggest effect on the environment in the uk so therefore people will be looking at us i think the way you know once coronavirus is hopefully out of the way we can say 
goodbye to it, then people are going to focus on the environment more, is my opinion. And we shouldn't, as farmers, we, we think about, you know, like growing food. But really what we're doing is we're responding to what the consumer wants, aren't we? So if somebody wants to have more, let's say, potatoes, we'll, we'll grow more potatoes. So if somebody is saying to you, I want to see more habitats, I want to see less sprays, I want to see more rewilding, then if people are asking for that, then really maybe that's what we should be focusing our time on in the future and, 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 you know, and, and growing things which might not necessarily be food. Uh, have you found that in your business? Where I guess you, you're very fortunate in the sense that you're closer to the to the customer, to the consumer, than most primary producing farmers are. And, and you can adjust your farming business and the way you produce your product depending on, on, on what your cost customer wants and what the consumer um, sort of values in, in, in the product that they buy from you. So I guess it's, it's listening to them, but, but you are in a position whereby you can make changes on on farm based on on what your customers want yeah yeah i i think that's that's the thing if people are saying that you know they want to uh, they want to s- support businesses who are thinking more about the environment and their carbon footprint and all of this kind of thing then we should be responding to that and you know doing something about it but but that's kind of don't know i might be wrong but that's what i sort of see as coming when you look at the younger generation they're very much thinking about the environment and how to have a world where we're not destroying it i think we we as farmers have got to react to that does that feature in your marketing and in your branding of the product that the story and the, and the production methods on the farm yeah I, I think it's becoming more so with us i mean we've along the you know our journey with our food you know what we produce we have always tried to do things in a greener way and we're always looking at like little wins of what we can do where we're reducing you know maybe fuel usage and that kind of thing i think it's going to be more important still going further forward that we we keep showing the public that what we're do, what our business is doing for the environment as well yeah like i say we, we've over the years we have done little wins along the way solar panels water pipes in the concrete under the cow shed to try and heat the water for the milking parlor wash down and you know little things like that i, I think for us coming up is what we're we're currently working on is we're working out our carbon footprint of the farm uh, and we want to share that with all of the people who buy our product and follow us on social media and then we want to go about showing them how we're going to reduce that uh, over over the coming years so people can see you know no one's expecting this to it to happen overnight but people can see that we're you know the business is going in the right direction and I think more businesses will be be looking for the same sort of path they'll be wanting to prove to the people who buy their products that they're they're doing their business is going in a, in a greener direction and also we've seen a lot of businesses diversify over the years but with the changes to the subsidy payments which i referred to earlier just around the corner more farms may now be looking to do so what's your advice to, to somebody that's uh, wanting to set out on a diversification project what are the steps they need to take and, and what do you think would be the right approach i think again i Farming has got such huge possibilities and opportunities there. It's just there all in front of you. You've just got to come up with some good ideas and how do you use <laughs> it. But I, I would be looking at, you know, what is the land, what's on your farm, which is the least productive land and things like that. Can you can you do anything there to help with your green credentials? The, the new sort of um, schemes coming in 
elms and the likes, that sort of stuff, which is going to be coming through. Does that actually pay to farm that land? You, you know, is the, the the poorest fields on your on your farm? Is it does it actually make more sense to put them into something which is better for the environment? So that's one thing to look at. There's also, you know, for so many farms, there is opportunities other than just farming it. You know, tourism is going to be a really important thing. You know, in years to come, I think the UK is a really amazing place for you know our our history, our heritage, and the you know so much beautiful places to visit country again you know people you know when that eventually does come back going on holiday again holidaying in the uk you know farmers own buildings around the farm what they can convert into holiday cottages and then again obviously the the food itself you know the food what we as farmers produce can you add value to that can you create your own brand can, you know can you find a niche in the market which you which other people aren't doing i think the the consumer is you know you look at the trend it's going up and up towards buying local, supporting British farming. All of this is saying to us that we, we need to do, as farmers, we need to keep diversifying, really, um, because there is, a, there is a market there for it. It, it isn't the easy route by, all, by any means, but if you can, if you can make it happen, then there's, there's huge rewards at the end of it. Yeah, and I'm sure it's about spreading the risk, isn't it? Having multiple enterprises on the farm does enable you to, to have that sort of balance of, of income across different sectors, which does help to, to support the business going, going forward. And I also understand that you're um, vice chairman of the Specialist Cheesemakers Association. Tell us some more about that organisation. Yeah, so um, back when we first started visiting these cheesemakers before we made cheese, the word, the S, you know, join the SCA kept coming up, join the SCA. So we did. And it, all it is is a, just a body of people association for specialist cheesemakers. So it's there to help anybody who's new to the industry or the existing cheesemakers when problems arise, questions, or that it's just putting people in touch with other people. You know, it doesn't cost much. I, I can't remember now, 100 and something pound a year to be a member, but it, it offers some huge, you know, huge amounts of information and help so you know i would really recommend anybody who's looking into cheese making to certainly speak to the sca and ideally join the membership and you found members of of the uh, sca quite open in sharing information and supportive of other producers yeah absolutely yeah uh, it, it was something which really struck me at the beginning because when we first started in, uh, researching cheese making how lovely all of the cheesemakers were. Um, I mean, to be fair, dairy farmers, well, farmers in general, I've always found farming, you know, it, farmers have always been very helpful to one another and always uh, are willing to share information and, and records or whatever it happens to be. But cheesemakers seem to be a, another level still. And um, I, I guess it's because when you come to cheesemaking, like no one's really going to be able to ever copy you uh, because you make something unique to the place where you yeah of course farm. Um, so especially raw milk cheese um, because it, it is literally what, what the bacteria and and yeasts and whatever is around your farm is influencing the flavor. The cow's milk is going to be different from farm to farm, and the way you make your cheese is going to be different. So you you never really got any competition. And and I also think that that the more cheese makers we have in the country then the more people are going to eat cheese. So, um, you know, I, I always look at it like that. So, uh, you know, 
Uh, I, and that certainly was what I found when I when I first became a cheesemaker. Yeah, and that's something you're keen to promote in your in your tenure now as vice chairman and potentially as chairman of the organisation. You want to continue in that vein? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It was. Um, I would have never have been a cheesemaker had I not had the help from such good people. What we visited. So you know what I was given. I obviously I want to do the same to ever mm. the new person who happens to be in the future who wants to do it. And uh, what's next then for Fen Farm Dairy? What's the plan for the next five to ten years? Well, we're um, we'll just continue as we are. Uh, I mean, we've still got a little way to go to really perfect our cheese. I think we can get better still, and we'll keep working towards that. For the farm itself, I I, I can't see it ever really being any more than what comes from that farm or for that business whether i choose to do another business or something else if i'm crazy enough then maybe <laughs> but i think the story of fen farm has to you know the milk and everything has to come from fen farm so i'm very happy just to continue making baron bygod and our butter and you know mascarpone and the the yogurt i mean i think i think sales online are going to continue to keep growing and that's something which i'm interested in right now is to you know working more on our online shop and internet sales and the people who we sell to around the country and i can see again their internet sales are going to grow so that's something which i'm i'm focusing on but i do i also have like this, this sort of thoughts in the back of my head you know there's other countries in the world who don't have very good brie maybe it'd be <laughs> quite fun to go and visit visit some other countries and talk about cheese making there and uh who knows i mean it's um there's so many possibilities isn't there yeah you might even write a book or something or <laughs> come out well, with... you never know i might have to have my wife help me write <laughs> and uh, currently then with your herds uh, on at fen farm dairy do you process all the milk into different products uh, and, and is there any surplus that you sell off to just doing using traditional conventional means to processors or do you keep yeah. it all no, on the no. farm we do still sell uh, about well a, a good proportion of our milk still still is sold on. Mm. We, we, we've still got you know plenty of plenty of scope there's capacity there. Yeah, yeah, there's plenty more we we can do. And you've got a very special breed of cattle which you're uh, you're going to continue with. Yeah, the Montbelliard. Yeah, they are. Um, I never even brought about said anything about them, did I? Um, so <laughs> we, um, one of the first things what we did was when we looked into cheese making was well once we decided upon the cheese we were going to make brie that we wanted to find the, like somebody to help us create the cheese what what we were aiming to do and uh, and the obvious person would be a french french cheesemaker so we researched again and found this cheesemaker who was willing to share his secrets of how to make good brie but he said i'll work with you providing you have good milk and i said well, well we've got good milk he said what's the breed i said holstein he said uh, he said, this is not going to work. <laughs> I don't mean that in the wrong way. You know, I'm sure Holstein milk's great, but he, he had in his mind, he wanted to have cows which were in France, which were, were the milk was used for cheese making. And, uh, and if you go over to France, a very popular breed where all of their milk goes into cheese is Montbelliard. Oh, I so, see. So that's why we ended up getting the Montbelliard cow. So we, we got in touch with the Mont- Montbelliard um, cattle dealer in france and visited him he just took us around farms all around the Jura region of france knocking on french farmers um, <laughs> can we buy a cow that most of them looked at me rather strange um, <laughs> but, but we brought them all back and and that's and, and we've been growing our herd of um 
you know, Montbelliard cows ever since. Um, so, uh, yeah, we've got about 300 of them now. Oh, that's brilliant. How many Montbelliard cows would there be in the UK? Is there still very, very few still? Um, I th- I th- it, there is not that many. I, I don't know the answer, to be fair. Um, but the, it's, a, it's a small small group of farmers who have Montbelliards. Um, but they, I think we are going into a world of more sort of, you know, we're, it's all about milk solids now rather than litres of milk. And Montbelliards are very good at, you know, milk solids. They have high... Um, very high protein and uh, and decent butter fat and they also look like strong animals so so they last long presumably as well they're good legs and feet yeah yeah absolutely they that's one of the things what i loved about them i i always uh, you know we're all different but i i loved as a child i i always um enjoyed the um the old british frisian and we went down the holstein route and and didn't really notice it at the time but all of a sudden they got really tall leggy cows yeah i always enjoyed having animals what were more chunky and square um, <laughs> and the Montbelliard are definitely that they've got big square heads and um and they're like uh, you know once they decide they're going to somewhere you can't stop them um, <laughs> the determination you see the determination in their eyes they te- they tend to actually shut their eyes when they want to go past you they ignore you they they think you they pretend you're not there and just <laughs> oh, but they've got a lovely temperament as well. I'm sure they're, they're good, docile animals to work with. Yeah, yeah, they're funny old lot. Yeah, they, they, <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, they do. Uh, and as a final question before we wrap up this podcast, uh, I'm dying to ask you: What is your favourite accompaniment to Baron by God? What goes really well with a brie? What, what, as in a drink? You mean? Or it could be drink, or, or could be food. What's, what's good to go with it? Um, I mean, I, I, uh, I, I. I I've sort of eaten our cheese in many restaurants where they've d- done different things. They've like, <laughs> fried it in, in breadcrumbs. And, but I, I think the best, uh, I have to say, the best I've ever tasted our cheese was a restaurant in London, um, uh, the Dairy at um, Clapham, which they've now moved to the Dairy at Bermondsey, I think. Um, but they made this dish where it was um, Baron Bygod with, um, with like shaved truffle on the top and, and, it was, um, and they just sort of like heated it and it all gone gooey and oh it's just delicious uh, I think I think it got a, a mention in um, one of these food writers in I can't remember the times maybe um, mentioned this dish the Baron Bygod but it, it was it was unbelievable I, I must admit I ate it and I thought I can't is this really our cheese <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but a good good cider goes well with it. It always works oh. well. Cider, draft cider, Aspels in particular, maybe. Brilliant. Well, well that, both of those sound absolutely delicious, and I must try them before long. Uh, Johnny Crickmore, I've uh, thoroughly enjoyed having you on, on the podcast, and um, clearly you're doing a fantastic job, a job there. It's a family-run operation, and you've got a fantastic story, which adds to, to, to the provenance, to, to the feel, and to the quality of the product that, that you um, provide. And um, may I wish you and the family all the very best for the future, and thank you once again for joining the podcast. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Alan. If you're not a member of the CLA, you can join today. More information can be found on our website, www.cla.org.uk. Thank you for listening, and I hope you can join us again soon. You've been listening to the Rural Business Uncovered podcast, the CLA's new weekly podcast released every Friday. 
You can find all our episodes wherever you get your podcasts or just search Rural Business Uncovered on your chosen podcast provider. Remember to hit subscribe or follow to make sure you don't miss an episode. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.